I'm Dr. Shonda Garner Brooks, the CEO of the Family Strong Foundation. Family Strong Foundation is the organization that has been hosting these calls. I think we're on call 35. Start off with the with the verse of scripture, because Lord have mercy. If our country has ever needed a higher power, it is right now. But for some reason, this was the verse I was drawn to. Psalms. 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected have become the cornerstone. Just because something is rejected doesn't mean that it's not good. It just means that whoever rejected it didn't see the good in them. Yesterday, a lot of my, um, I had friends who were running for office, and one of my friends, uh, two of my friends, three of my friends, lost their races. And I myself haven't run for political office and lost. Sometimes that rejection is really hard to um, to handle. But we just have to remember that even Jesus Christ was rejected in his own land but accepted in other lands. So just because the stone was rejected, that doesn't mean that we won't become cornerstones or something else. And I really feel blessed to have lost the election, to be honest with you, because I would have to be dealing with this COVID mess right now and dealing with the school board. And if any of you know me, you'll know that tax is not one of my strong suits. So let's just say that sometimes God will protect us from ourselves. Now I'm going to get out of the pulpit and back into our conference call. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Landry, Evangel, and United Way. Their financial sponsorship makes these calls possible, and we will be here throughout the pandemic. It could be something that turns into like the Spanish flu, and we are here for about a year or two, and we're prepared to be here with you all that long. We'd also like to thank our community sponsors, United Healthcare Community Plan, and Ms. Deborah Jones in particular. Their support helps keep us motivated. Today, I'd like to introduce Mr. Taylor Martin. Uh, Mr. Taylor Martin has a master's degree, and he has been given an opportunity to do presentations on medicinal cannabis and marijuana. He's worked in the CBD hemp industry for several years and was prescribed um, THC, and I'll let him tell you the, the medical name for that. Through his personal experience and research, he's going to share with us the ins and outs of cannabis and what he's learned over the years. We'll also explore the endocannaboid system and some of these other big words that Dr. Brooks is not about to butcher on here and that come from the cannabis plant. He's going to break down the science to us and how the different effects affect our various ailments. We're also going to explore how cannabis can benefit our communities in medical and non-medical ways. Cannabis has been used for thousands of years as a medicine, and now our society is finally catching up. Hopefully through education, we all can become empowered and all make educated decisions on this topic and really transform our community for the better. I give you Mr. Taylor Martin. Mr. Martin, you are on mute, so you'll need to dial star six to unmute yourself. Everybody, hello, everybody. Can you hear me? Yes, sir, Mr. Martin, thank you. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you for the introduction, Shonda. I really appreciate it. Uh, and like I said, yeah, I've been uh, working in the CBD industry for a while as well as being prescribed uh, Marinol, which is a 
FDA-approved version of THC. Um, and through my experiences I, and my research, I'd like to share with you guys a little bit of information. Uh, so I'll first start off with uh, a little disclaimer. You know, none of this is medical advice. Um, please consult with your doctor before using cannabis to treat or prevent any disease or disorders. Um, dosages should be determined by you and your prescribing physician. Uh, certain pharmaceutical medications, for example, some but not all statins may negatively interact with cannabinoids. And always speak to your doctor before adding any new medications to your regimen, including cannabis. So uh, there's a distinction between hemp and marijuana. Um, they're both from the plant family cannabis, so that's why you'll hear me, hear me refer to it as cannabis. Um, so the difference between hemp cannabis and marijuana cannabis is the amount of delta-9 THC. If the delta-9 THC is below 0.3%, it is considered hemp. And if it's above 0.3%, it is considered marijuana. Uh, marijuana is rich in the cannabinoid delta-9 THC, and hemp is rich in the cannabinoid CBD and sometimes CBG. Uh, they're, they're the same plant. The level of delta-9 THC makes them placed in a different category, according to the 2018 Federal Farm Bill on Hemp. Um, currently, cannabis labeled as hemp and medical cannabis preparations are available in Louisiana, um, as well as pharmaceutical preparations such, such as Sativex, which is a THC and CBD product at a one-to-one -one ratio, and Marinol, which is a lab-synthesized THC. So medical cannabis in Louisiana. In Louisiana, medical cannabis is legal with a prescription now. Uh, you can either go to a medical cannabis clinic and get a prescription, or your primary care physician can give you a prescription if they feel that you require it. Uh, you get your medicine from a licensed cannabis dispensary. Uh, and I, I believe there are nine located around the state. Um, you can receive a 30-day supply of non-smokable preparations of cannabis. Dispensaries also may provide cannabis in a form to be administered by a metered dose inhaler. Um, inhalation is the fastest delivery method and can be most beneficial to those suffering with nausea caused by chemotherapeutic agents that treat cancer. Um, like I said, you can also get prescribed Marinol, which is an FDA-approved lab-synthesized THC, by any prescribing physician. Um, if your insurance covers it, it is a viable option that can be more affordable than medical cannabis in the state. Um, so in this state, you cannot grow your own medical cannabis. Uh, the LSU and Southern University Agriculture Centers have selected two companies to cultivate and produce medical cannabis. Um, in, an in an interview uh, with the advertiser, a medical cannabis recipient had stated, my starting bill to see a doctor was $250. Then when I went to a dispensary for three bottles of tincture, it was $398 for the month. She reports that this is not something I can afford. She said, I can't financially participate unless something changes. Prices vary across the state and range from $90 up to $200 per 30 milliliter bottle of tincture. Uh, Isaac Thibodeau, a, formal, a former uh, combat medic, was quoted saying, a bottle of 300 milligram THC-rich tincture costs between $186 to 
cost around $186 with a 10% veteran's discount. As a chronic pain patient, he estimates he would need anywhere between four to six bottles a month, which would cost approximately $1,100 out of pocket. And I feel that something needs to change. Um, after this presentation, please do some research and consider reaching out to your legislators and the governor and let them know how you feel about the medical cannabis program in our state and how it needs to be made more affordable. Uh, in addition to changing the price, I feel we need to allow more companies as well as individuals to grow their own medicine. As stated, there's a currently a monopoly on who can grow medical cannabis in the state, which kind of reduces the amount of jobs for our community. Um, people in the medical program in the state are being given low doses or can only afford low doses, and this doesn't help them, and only the patients really know how much they need to relieve their symptoms. If they were able to grow a certain amount of plants per person, then they would know what went into growing their medicine and would be able to grow varieties that treat their specific conditions. It would be at the cost of soil, water, fertilizer, and seeds. Uh, cannabis plants grown outdoors can produce up to a pound of cannabis per plant, sometimes more. Um, and I have a PowerPoint presentation that I'm going to send to you guys, and um, in there is a link to a website where you can find your legislators if you'd like to contact them. Uh, they have all of them in there. So um, approved conditions in Louisiana are autist, autism spectrum disorder, wasting syndrome, cancer, Cron uh, Crohn's disease, epilepsy, glaucoma, HIV and AIDS, um, intractable pain, which is defined as pain so chronic or severe as to otherwise warrant an opiate prescription, which is something we have an issue with here, um, the opiate epidemic. Uh, so the muscular dystrophy, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, post-traumatic stress disorder, seizure disorders and spasticity, um, and severe muscle spasms. As of um, August 1st, 2020, any other condition not otherwise specified um, can be prescribed to you by your primary care physician. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be one of these I, I just listed. So if your doctor feels like you need it, you can get that prescription. So we'll go in a little bit uh, the history of cannabis as medicine. Cannabis has been used in medicine for thousands of years. Ancient and medieval physicians mixed the plant into medicines, oils, or teas to treat pain and other ailments. Back then, it wasn't a highly controlled substance the way it is today, where in the United States, it's listed as a Schedule I drug, which means it has a high potential for abuse with no medical value whatsoever, along with drugs like heroin. Various hemp and cannabis extracts were the first, second, or third most prescribed medicines in the United States from 1842 to 1890. The medicinal use continued legally through the 1930s for humans and even veterinary medicine. During this time, there were no reported deaths from cannabis extracts or medicines and no abuse or mental disorders. These extracts were much more potent than the average cannabis user uses today. Cannabis has been used for more than 3,500 years in China, India, the Middle East, Africa, and pre-Roman Catholic Europe. 
cannabis was America's number one pain reliever from 60 years before the discovery of aspirin in 1900. From 1842 to 1900, cannabis made up half of all medicines sold with virtually no fear of its high. Uh, based on American research, cannabis has been used for Alzheimer's, sickle cell anemia, Parkinson's, migraines, antibiotic effects of CBD, sleep, anorexia, multiple sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, asthma, PTSD, glaucoma, nausea, tr tumors, epilepsy, anxiety, and many more that are reported anecdotally. From 1850 to 1937, the U.S. Pharmacopoeia listed cannabis as primary medicine for more than 100 separate illnesses. The DEA's own conservative law judge, Francis Young, after taking medical testimony for 15 days and reviewing hundreds of documents, stated that cannabis is one of the safest therapeutically active substances known to man. And this was in 1988. The endocannabinoid system. So we all have an endocannabinoid system and it is quite complicated. Experts haven't yet determined exactly how it works or all its potential functions. Research though has linked the endocannabinoid system to the following processes. Appetite and digestion, metabolism, chronic pain, inflammation, and other immune system responses, your mood, learning and memory, motor control, sleep, cardiovascular system function, muscle formation, bone remodeling and growth, liver function, reproductive system function, stress, and skin and nerve function. These functions all contribute to homeostasis which refers to the stability of your internal environment. For an, for an example, if an outside force such as pain from an injury or fever throws off your body's homeostasis, your endocannabinoid system kicks in to help your body return to its ideal operation. So endocannabinoid system, the endocannabinoids, and the receptors. So endocannabinoids, endo means produced by the body. And then exogenous or phytocannabinoids are the ones found in the cannabis plant. Endocannabinoids are the ones produced in our bodies, and two of which are anandamide and 2-AG. Uh, these two main re uh, there are two main cannabinoid receptors, CB1, uh, which gets activated by THC and is responsible for the psychoactive, neuromodulatory, and pain-killing effects and the CB1 receptor is found throughout the body and the brain. Um, and then the next one is CB2. Uh, it, get, it gets activated by CBD and THC and re is responsible for anti-inflammatory, immunomodulatory effects, but no psychoactive effects. Uh, they are found in the immune system, the gastrointestinal system, and the brain. So, there's something um, that researchers are starting to point to called endocannabinoid system deficiency. Um, some experts believe in theory known as clinical endocannabinoid system deficiency, or CECD. This theory suggests that low endocannabinoid levels in your body or endocannabinoid system dysfunction can contribute to the development of certain conditions. 
Reviewing over 10 years of research on the subject suggests the theory could explain why some people develop migraines, fibromyalgia, and irritable bowel syndrome. None of these conditions have a clear underlying cause. They're often resistant to treatment and sometimes occur alongside each other. If clinical endocannabinoid system deficiency does play any kind of role in these conditions, targeting the endocannabinoid system or endocannabinoid production and introducing cannabinoids from the plant into the body could be the missing key to treatment. But yet again, more research is needed. So I'm going to review next uh, cannabinoids and terpenes. So there are hundreds of chemical compounds found in the cannabis plant which include hemp, the low delta-9 THC varieties, and cannabis uh, marijuana, the high delta-9 THC varieties, many of which have therapeutic benefits. These compounds are known as cannabinoids and terpenes. Cannabinoids affect our cannabinoid receptors in the endocannabinoid system, and terpenes mainly do not, but also have therapeutic effects though there are a couple terpenes that do affect the CB2 receptor. So some examples of cannabinoids, um, delta-9 THC, which is responsible for the euphoric feeling that you get, relaxation, appetite stimulation, and much more. Um, and there's also a delta-8 THC, which is responsible for the same things, euphoria, relaxation, appetite stimulation, and much more. Um, I highly suggest um, people doing some research on Delta-8 THC. Um, it's kind of a new and up-and-coming cannabinoid uh, that seems to be very beneficial. Um, the next one is THCV. Um, and THCV, uh, usually we, we think of cannabis as something that increases our appetite. But if you have a plant that is high in THCV, it will actually suppress your appetite. Um, and then we have CBD, which is responsible for um, helping with pain and inflammation. And then we have CBN, which is helpful for sleep. Uh, and then we have CBG, which is helpful for neuroinflammation and its antioxidant properties. And then CBGV, which is responsible for pain and inflammation. And I also believe that uh, CBG helps with um, bone uh, issues with your bones. It helps increase bone density. Um, it is important to educate yourself on cannabinoids and which ones can help your specific ailment. Because they, uh, the plants come in different ratios of these cannabinoids, so finding the right one for you or the right um, combination of these cannabinoids would be most beneficial. Um, and these are just a few of the cannabinoids. There are, there are a lot more. So um, I'll go into a little bit of the terpenes. So terpenes are the aromatic compounds of the plant responsible for the smell and taste. Um, also, terpenes are also found in pretty much every plant. Um, it gives them the smell and the taste that they have. So um, one of the ones found in cannabis, caryophylline, uh, is responsible for inflammation and anti-anxiety. Um, caryophylline is also found in black pepper. Uh, limonene, which is helpful to elevate your mood. It's good for stress. It has some cancer applications. It is also an antifungal and antibacterial. 
Um, as the name kind of suggests, you can find limonene in oranges and lemons. Myrcene, which is uh, responsible for pain relief, um, sedating and relaxing you, uh, myrcene can be found in mangoes. And pinene, an anti-inflammatory agent and anti-anxiety agent, it's good for your memory and alertness. Pinene can be found in pine needles. And then the humulene, which uh, suppresses your appetite and could prevent cancer cells from growing. Uh, linalool, which is sedating and calming. It's also antifungal and antibacterial. Linalool is the smell that you get from lavender. And all of these terpenes are found in the cannabis plant. There are many more terpenes, but these are just kind of a few that you guys can look into. So these terpenes, among many others, like cannabinoids, alter the effect of the particular cannabis variety that you are consuming. The synergistic effect produced by combining multiple cannabinoids and terpenes is called the entourage effect, meaning they work better when they're working together versus the pure cannabinoid compounds. This is why sometimes you'll hear isolate, broad spectrum, or full spectrum. So isolate refers to just one cannabinoid, and then broad spectrum refers to a multitude of cannabinoids without the THC, as well as the terpenes are included. And then full spectrum is the terpenes, a multitude of cannabinoids, and a little bit of THC. So cannabis in its whole plant form is full spectrum, meaning it contains a multitude of cannabinoids and terpenes that work together. So there are different routes of administration for cannabis. So it, it comes in oral tinctures, or it can come in oral tinctures, um, which would be used sublingually. You would hold the tincture made with cannabis-infused vegetable oil under your tongue, uh, this provides quicker relief of symptoms than oral capsules or infused foods. And then orally, cannabis, uh, which would include cannabis-infused foods or capsules. And then topically, um, which would include oil that is rubbed on the skin. And then vaporizing. Uh, vaporizing is heating cannabis to the temperature at which the beneficial compounds vaporize instead of combusting, um, thus reducing the potential harm of burnt plant material. Vaporized cannabis can even be used to treat asthma, which we will discuss later. You can also smoke it, igniting the plant and inhaling through a rolled joint or a pipe. Inhalation, whether vaporized or smoked, provides the quickest relief from symptoms being treated. Also, you can consume cannabis rectally in the form of cannabis suppositories. So I just want to go a little bit into smoked cannabis and how it may potentially be safer than smoked tobacco. Um, there's a lot of kind of medical jargon in here, but I'll, I'll kind of summarize it afterwards. This is a, a quote from one of these research articles that I found. So while tobacco and cannabis smoke have similar properties chemically, their pharmacological activities differ greatly. 
components of the cannabis smoke minimize some of the carcinogenic pathways, whereas tobacco smoke enhances it. Both types of smoke contain carcinogens in particulate matter that promotes inflammatory immune responses that may enhance the carcinogenic effect of the smoke. However, cannabis typically down-regulates immunologically generated free radical production by promoting a TH2 immune cytokine profile. Furthermore, THC inhibits the enzyme necessary to activate some of the carcinogens found in smoke. In contrast, tobacco smoke increases the likelihood of carcinogenesis by overcoming normal cellular checkpoint protective mechanisms throughout the activity of respiratory epithelial cell nicotine receptors. Cannabinoid receptors have been reported in respiratory epithelial cells. In skin, they can prevent cancer and hence the DNA damage checkpoint mechanism should remain intact after prolonged cannabis exposure. Furthermore, nicotine promotes tumor angiogenesis where cannabis inhibits it. However, current knowledge does not suggest that cannabis smoke will have a carcinogenic potential compared to that resulting from exposure to tobacco smoke. So what that says is, according to the research, cannabis contains carcinogens, but it has compounds within it that almost eliminate the carcinogenic potential of smoking it. It should be noted that with the development of vaporizers that use the respiratory route for delivery of carcinogen-free cannabis vapors, the carcinogenic potential of smoked cannabis has been largely eliminated. So the safest way to inhale cannabis as a medicine would be through vaporizing. Like I said earlier, it's just heating it up to the temperature in which it releases the cannabinoids and the terpenes instead of burning the plant. So I'm going to go over um, some potential medical uses of cannabis. Uh, there are 61 to be exact that I have listed here. Um, it helps relieve nausea and vomiting in some chemotherapy patients. The most well-known cannabinoid in cannabis, Delta-9-THC, has shown to be extremely useful in relieving chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. A study done in 2001 found that chemotherapy patients who smoked cannabis showed a 70 to 100% relief from nausea and vomiting, while those who used a Delta-9-THC capsule experienced 76 to 88% relief. It can also help stimulate appetite and weight gain in AIDS, cancer, and anorexia nervosa patients. Most studies throughout the years have shown cannabis use is directly correlated with an increase in appetite and weight. The exact mechanism is still unclear, but we do know there's a high concentration of cannabinoid receptors in the brain parts that are associated with control of food intake. A couple of example studies. In 1994 study, that looked at the effect of cannabis on mean daily energy intake, found that mean daily energy intake of participants who used cannabis was significantly higher when they didn't use cannabis. An experimental laboratory study done in 1988 found that smoked cannabis significantly increases daily caloric intake by a whopping 40%. It can also be used to uh, decreased spasticity associated with multiple sclerosis. Uh, the effect of cannabis on psychomotor function and spasticity associated with multiple sclerosis are well documented. 
multiple sclerosis patients receiving insufficient relief from traditional treatments in different studies have reported a dramatic decrease in spasticity when using cannabis, especially smoking cannabis has strong evidence for decreasing spasticity and pain. For example, a study done in 2012 found that inhaled cannabis had a beneficial effect on spasticity among MS patients receiving insufficient relief from traditional treatments. It can also help with ALS. ALS is one of the three most deadly neurodegenerative diseases known to man. And while there's a lot of research to be done, the initial studies done on animals show that cannabinoids have many neuroprotective properties that can be used in treating ALS. In 2006, uh, a study looked at the effect of cannabinoid receptor, the CB2 receptor to be specific, and its activation on ALS in mice. And it showed that activation of this cannabinoid had a significant increase in motor unit survival and motor neuron survival. While the research didn't test cannabis specifically, THC is known to activate the CB2 receptor as well, and in theory would have the same effects. Further research should point if that's really the case. Um, it, it can relieve all symptoms associated with spinal cord injury in some patients. Spinal cord injury can be a very impactful condition that interferes with daily life. Some of the symptoms which particularly can interfere with your general well-being are pain, muscle spasms, spasticity, and difficulty sleeping. Multiple studies have shown that cannabis can help with all of these symptoms and improve the general quality of life with people suffering of spinal cord injury. It can also help with epilepsy. More and more studies suggest that epileptic activity is related to changes in the levels and distribution of cannabinoid receptors in the hippocampus. So it's not a coincidence that for over decades, cannabinoids have been shown to reduce seizures very effectively, especially in patients that have resistance to traditional treatments. And it could alleviate chronic pain Chronic pain is a complex condition that involves many factors and its cause for reduced quality of life. Multiple clinical studies have shown that smoked or vaporized cannabis can lead to a significant decrease in chronic neuropathic pain associated with various syndromes and diseases. A 2011 study looked at the effects of vaporized cannabis and its effect on chronic neuropathic pain found that vaporizing cannabis three times a day for five days resulted in a significant decrease, 27% of perceived pain by chronic pain patients. It also may help treat bladder pain syndrome, BPS. BPS can keep you up all night, forcing you to use the bathroom frequently at rather unwanted times. In 2014, researchers found that a synthetic activator of cannabinoid receptor 2, the CB2 receptor, significantly decreased the bladder inflammation and urinary frequency in mice with BPS. This same recept cannabinoid receptor gets activated by THC, one of the main cannabinoids in cannabis. In theory, this could mean that cannabis, through activating the CB2 receptor, has the potential to help with BPS. Further research is needed to explore the potential, of course. It can reduce headaches and migraine attacks in some patients. 
as anyone who has suffered from a heavy migraine and that per- ask anyone who is suffering from heavy migraines and that person will tell you what difficulty he or she goes through while a migraine attack flares up. Scientists found that activation of the endocannabinoid system could represent a promising therapeutic tool for reducing both the physiological and inflammatory component of pain that are likely involved in migraine attacks. The cannabinoids found in cannabis are some of the most potent activators of the endocannabinoid system. As you can see, anecdotal reports are slowly starting to get back up from scientific research. It can also help with osteoarthritis, or OA, by preventing cartilage breakdown. Although research on this topic is scarce, there have been some studies done in animals that show that activation of the cannabinoid receptors helped control pain caused by osteoarthritis. Also, a more recent 2016 study looked at the effects of the CB2 receptor activation on cartilage breakdown in osteoarthritis in humans and it concluded that cannabinoids may prevent cartilage breakdown in osteoarthritis. All we can say to the medical and legislative world is decriminalize the plant, which would open up the gates for more research and find resources to dive deeper into this so we can benefit our communities. And it also could help relieve rheumatoid arthritis pain and stop its progress. Again, the research on the topic is scarce, but the research has been done, that has been done is promising. Unlike osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disorder where the immune system attacks your joints. Cannabis-based medicines could help with massive pain relief caused by rheumatoid arthritis. For example, a study done in 2005 found that a cannabis-based medicine named Sativex, which is a one-to-one THC to CBD ratio, had significant pain-relieving effects and significantly suppressed the disease activity of rheumatoid arthritis in human patients. It can also help with symptoms associated with fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia is a chronic pain condition that can severely affect your daily life through fatigue, cognitive, and emotional disturbances. Although nothing suggests that cannabis can cure fibromyalgia, a growing body of evidence shows that cannabis could help with treating its symptoms. For example, a 2011 study found that fibromyalgia patients that used cannabis showed a significant reduction in stiffness, pain, enhancement of relaxation, and just a general increase in feeling of well-being. And it also could help with osteoporosis by stimulating bone formation. Osteoporosis is a bone disease that is characterized by an increased risk of fractures caused by a reduction in bone mineral density. Cannabinoid receptor CB2 is thought to stimulate bone formation and inhibit bone resorption. And this receptor gets activated by cannabinoids found in cannabis, especially THC. A 2009 study concluded that existing research points towards a potential role for cannabinoid drugs to combat combat osteoporosis. And it also could help prevent degenerative disc disease, or DDD. Degenerative disc disease is the degeneration of intervertebral discs uh, located in the spine. It can lead to severe and chronic neck and back pains. 
In study, a study done in 2014 on rats found that repeated injection of CBD, a cannabinoid found in the cannabis plant, significantly improves degenerative disc disease symptoms even 15 days after CBD was stopped. It can also help improve symptoms associated with dystonia up to 50%. Dystonia is a neurological movement disorder cause, uh, that causes abnormal movements and muscle contractions. While there's still a lot of research to be done, a study done back in 1986 found that the daily intake of 100 milligrams to 600 milligrams of CBD co-administered with standard medication improved dystonia up to 50%. This is quite a massive improvement, and in my opinion, warrants a deeper exploration of the potential benefits that cannabis has for dystonia patients. It can also help weaken the progression of Huntington's disease, or HD. HD is an inherited neurodegenerative disease that results in the progressive loss of brain cells. As the disease progresses, it results in problems with mood, mental abilities, and psychomotor abilities. Although there's a clinical study which looked at the efficiency of CBD on improving symptoms related to Huntington's disease that found no significant effect, a study done in 2010 concluded that downregulation of the cannabinoid receptor CB1 is the key to pathogenic effects of HD. The activation of this receptor might weaken the progression of HD. The cannabinoids in cannabis activate the CB1 receptor, further Further research should show whether cannabis has any potential for helping with Huntington's disease. It can also help with movement disorders associated with Parkinson's disease and movement disorders caused by the use of traditional medications for Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease is another neurodegenerative disease that mainly affects the motor system. Unfortunately, there's no cure for this disease, but besides anecdotal evidence of cannabis helping with Parkinson's disease tremors, a 2001 study found that cannabis could help with decreasing the tremors associated with levodopa-induced movement disorders, and levodopa is one of the main medications used to treat Parkinson's disease. It can also help with Tourette syndrome, uh, Tourette syndrome is an inherited neuropsychiatric disorder characterized by physical and vocal tics. Like with many inherited disorders, there's no cure. But in 2014, a study found that THC can cause a significant tick reduction in Tourette syndrome patients. It also can help with glaucoma. Glaucoma is an eye disease that can ultimately lead to irreversible blindness. A study done in 2004 which analyzed different research papers concluded that because cannabinoids effectively lower intraocular pressure, one of the main risk factors in glaucoma, and have neuroprotective effects, cannabinoids can be useful in treating glaucoma, and yet another reason to dive deeper into the healing properties of cannabis. It also acts as a bronchial dilator in asthma patients. It turns out that the main cannabinoid in cannabis, THC, significantly improves ventilatory function in asthma patients. However, smoking is not the best idea for your health, especially for an asthma patient, because it can irritate and damage the delicate respiratory system, 
Instead, if you want to use cannabis in a less harmful way than smoking, there are other methods of consumption, including vaporization, which also eliminates most of the carcinogenic activity and other previously mentioned routes of administration. It can lower arterial blood pressure in patients with hypertension. Hypertension or high blood pressure is one of the major risk factors for all kinds of diseases, mainly related to the heart and the arteries. We all heard that cannabis can calm you down, but did you know it can also calm down your blood pressure? A study done all the way back in 1979 found that THC causes a decrease in arterial blood pressure in hypertensive patients. Medical cannabis can also reduce anxiety. Although cannabis is also known to be a cause of anxiety, a study done in 2011 found that the cannabinoid CBD significantly reduces anxiety. Cognitive impairment impairment and discomfort in speech performance and significantly decreased alert in anticipatory speech of patients suffering from generalized anxiety disorder. It's important here to note that in most cannabis strains, are very low in CBD. So if you want this effect, the anti-anxiety effect, you would need to get a high CBD strain with a relatively low level of THC. Sometimes you still want a little bit of THC to get that entourage effect like I was talking about earlier where they work together. Um, But you would want something that has more CBD than THC in it. It can also be effective and an effective antidepressant. Uh, depression is a complex mental problem and should always be treated by looking at the deeper underlying causes. However, if you're depressed, options can run short, and a temporary boost in your mood can lead to mental clarity, which can in turn lead to different perspectives on the causes of your depression and help you work through that depression. In 2007, researchers found that a low In low doses, THC acts as an effective antidepressant by increasing the feel-good neurotransmitter serotonin in your brain. But there's a catch. At higher doses, THC had the opposite effect and increased feelings of depression. So you don't want to just go blindly using cannabis to treat your depression and always consult with your doctor before going on a path of self-medication. It can also help with sleep disorders by effectively improving sleep quality. Anyone that's used cannabis in any way before going to bed knows how easy it can be to fall asleep after using it. But did you know cannabis and cannabis-based medicines are prescribed as official medicines for people with sleep disorders? And not without reason. For example, in a study done in 2007, researchers found that the use of the Sativex, that one-to-one THC-CBD-based cannabis medicine, demonstrated marked improvement in sleep parameters in 2,000 subjects, which included 1,000 patients suffering from various pain conditions. Of all patients, 40 to 50% attained good or very good sleep quality, a key source of disability and chronic pain syndromes that may contribute to the patient's quality of life. It can also help eliminate nightmares associated with PTSD. PTSD can be an extremely impactful mental disorder which develops after a person experiences a traumatic event. 
Although cannabis sometimes gets labeled as a feel-good substance, it's, it can completely eliminate nightmares associated with PTSD. For example, research done in 2009 found that cannabis-based medicine named nabilone, which is a synthetic cannabinoid that mimics the effects of Delta-9 THC, reduced the daytime flashbacks and improved overall sleep quality in PTSD patients, which leads us to believe that naturally occurring Delta-9 THC does the exact same thing. It can be used to control the abuse of more harmful drugs, Although cannabis use can be harmful to your health in some cases of drug abuse, it can function as a harm reduction tool by taking the place of harmful drugs that are being abused. Researchers who surveyed 350 medical cannabis patients found that 40% reported using medical cannabis as an alternative for alcohol, 26 as a substitute for illicit, 26% as a substitute for illicit drugs, and 66% as an alternative for prescription drugs. The main reasons for using medical cannabis as a substitute were found to be less adverse side effects and better symptom management. So overall, it worked better and it provided way less side effects than some of these other other medications that are um, pharmaceutically derived. Um, A lot of these pharmaceutical medications, you take one and then you have to take another one to combat the side effects. So you're just adding pills on pills on pills. So be careful here, though. Even though cannabis is not considered physically addictive substance, it can be psychologically addictive, but it's far safer than most substances. Um, CBD is a potent antipsychotic for schizophrenia patients. Cannabis use has been linked to the development of schizophrenia and psychosis in persons that are already susceptible towards psychiatric disorders. However, what most people don't know is that CBD, the second well-most-known cannabinoid in cannabis, is a very potent antipsychotic. In 2012, studies showed that CBD is is an as potent antipsychotic as one of the most used traditional medicines in the treatment of schizophrenia. Not only that, but researchers found that CBD had less negative side effects than this medication. To get the benefits of CBD, I highly recommend getting a high-quality broad-spectrum or full-spectrum CBD oil. Um, It can also help with Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Alzheimer's disease is a neurodegenerative disease that can eventually lead to dementia. One of the key processes which lead to loss of brain cells in Alzheimer's disease is AB aggregation. THC has been shown as a very effective inhibitor of AB aggregation, which means it stops the aggregation of AB. In these studies, it's shown to be even more effective than currently approved prescription drugs for Alzheimer's disease. And it could help with inflammatory skin diseases There have been some studies that found a positive effect of cannabinoids on pain and irritation associated with inflammation of the skin. Important to note here that um, the cannabinoids that they used are a lot more powerful than THC in this study, and a lot more research is needed before real conclusions can be drawn about the effectiveness of cannabinoids on inflammatory skin diseases, but there are a lot of people who report that it does help with them. Uh, help them with inflammatory skin diseases. 
It can also help with irritable bowel syndrome, or, or IBS, a cannabis-based medicine named dronabinol or marinol, uh, the same drug, has been shown to be beneficial to irritable bowel syndrome patients with constipation and diarrhea. Um, dronabinol or marinol is lab-synthesized THC. Um, it is the exact same chemical structure as the THC found in the plant, but when you ingest the lab-synthesized THC, it's not nearly as effective because it doesn't work with the body as well as the THC that comes from the plant. Um, it can also improve, medical cannabis can also improve symptoms of inflammatory bowel disease. Cannabis in general has anti-inflammatory properties, and these properties even extend to your gut. In 2011, researchers found that 21 out of 30 patients significantly improved their Crohn's disease with cannabis use. Although the need for regular medication was reduced considerably and the frequency of surgery reduced the frequency of surgery required went significantly down in the years of cannabis use. So it helped them to kind of reduce the medications that they were taking as well as reducing the amount of surgeries that they had to have. So um, cannabis can also help with diseases of the liver. Did you know that cannabis can help with alcohol-caused liver diseases like liver fibrosis? The irony here is that alcohol is legal and cannabis is still illegal in large parts of the world. In 2011, researchers concluded that CBD induces death of hepatic stellite cells, HCSs. These cells are the major causes of the development and progression of liver fibrosis. The researchers further proposed that CBD could function as a therapeutic agent for the treatment of liver fibrosis caused by alcohol use. It can also help weight loss in obesity. We already know that cannabis can help with gaining weight in AIDS, cancer, and anorexia patients. However, cannabis can help with weight loss as well. Uh, the right combination and ratios of cannabinoids could help the overweight person lose weight. In 2012, study done on rats found that cannabis extracts containing a THC, CBN, and CBD ratio of 1 to 0.2 to 0.4 reduced a significant, caused a significant reduction of weight gain. So it, it's all about those, the, the right ratio of these cannabinoids for specific conditions. Um, and certain varieties of cannabis have these different ratios. So that's why you see sometimes this, this strain works better for this, this strain works better for this. It's because of the ratios of cannabinoids and terpenes that are present in them. Um, and currently in Louisiana, like I said, the, um, there are only two places that can grow it. And it doesn't seem as though they are growing a high variety of different strains. It seems like they're only growing a couple varieties and using those as the medicine that you would receive if you were a medical cannabis patient. So another reason to kind of um, ask, ask our legislators to kind of free that open a little bit, allow people to grow their own medicine or allow more companies to grow medicine so we have a more variety um, that can treat 
different ailments and cater to more people. So it could potentially also uh, prevent diabetes. In 2011, researchers looked at the association between diabetes and cannabis use, and what they found was extremely, was extremely encouraging. Cannabis use was associated with a significantly lower occurrence of diabetes. This does not necessarily mean cannabis prevents diabetes, but it potentially could, and findings like this definitely should encourage more research into this topic. Um, cannabis can potentially kill brain tumors. You probably already heard many anecdotal reports of cannabis oil treating and eliminating cancers, but never was there sound scientific proof for cannabis killing cancer. This all changed in 2014 when researchers proved that THC and CBD stopped the growth of one of the most aggressive cancers known to adult humans, glioma, which is brain cancer. They found that especially combined with traditional treatments, THC and CBD were extremely effective in destroying the cancer. What some of these cannabinoids do is they allow the, the chemotherapy drugs to get to the spot in your body that they need to be. So um, a combination of these things is the most helpful because, the, like I said, the cannabinoids kind of transport that chemotherapeutic drug to the location where it needs to be as well as having these anti-cancer properties. So it's kind of um, getting two birds with one stone there. So it can also, medical cannabis can also inhibit tumor growth in breast cancer. CBD just seems to have anti-effect against any tumor type. In 2015, researchers showed that CBD significantly inhibits tumor growth in one of the most aggressive breast, breast cancers, triple negative breast cancer. They further proposed that CBD could be used as a new therapeutic option in treating breast cancers in general. Uh, medical cannabis could inhibit tumor growth in melanoma. Melanoma is the most aggressive form of skin cancer. In 2013, researchers looked at the anti-cancer properties of anandamide, which is that endocannabinoid that our body produces. And endocannabinoids are compounds that are naturally produced by the body and closely resemble the cannabinoids found in cannabis. What they found was that anandamide had anti-tumor properties in melanoma, partially by activating the CB1 receptor, which are the same receptors that get activated by THC. It also can help prevent bladder cancer. Um, in an, an analysis of a survey done in over 84,000 men aged from 45 to 69 years old, researchers found that cannabis use was associated with a 45% reduction in bladder cancer. This does not mean there's a causal effect, but it does warrant further exploration on the topic. It's important to note here is that cannabis users who also use tobacco or tobacco-only users actually had an increased risk of developing bladder cancer, another reason to stop smoking cigarettes. And um, some people mix cannabis with tobacco, uh, so it's another reason to stop doing that. You don't want to take something that's good for you and mix it with something that's bad for you. 
Um, cannabis could help kill leukemia cells. Leukemia is a type of cancer of the bone marrow and blood cells. It's most common cancer in children. In 2013, researchers found that cannabinoids found in cannabis were more effective in inhibiting the growth of leukemia cells when used in combination with one another, especially the cannabinoids CBD and CBG. Combined, seem to be synergistic and most effective in inhibiting the growth of leukemia. So for leukemia, it's most effective CBD and CBG to have both of those present in your cannabis preparation. It doesn't have to be the only cannabinoids present, but uh, to have a dominant CBD and CBG ratio. Um, it may help treat lung cancer. The body has natural defense mechanisms versus cancer, and one of them is the occurrence of lymphokine-activated killers, which is abbreviated LAK cells. These cells help kill tumor cells in the lungs. As it turns out, the cannabinoid CBD increases the susceptibility of cancer cells being killed by these LAK cells. So not only does CBD directly inhibit the growth of tumor cells, but it also helps the body fight tumor cells with its own immune system. It can also treat pancreatic cancer. A 2006 study found that cannabinoids present in cannabis reduced the growth of tumor cells in animals that had pancreatic cancer. Not only that, but it also stopped the spread of the tumor cells in the body. Um, it can help treat colon cancer. More and more evidence is showing that cannabinoids and cannabis can help with every type of cancer. In 2011, Italian researchers looked at the effects of CBD on colon cancer and concluded that CBD reduced polyps, tumors, and protected the DNA from oxidative damage with colon cancer. It can also help stop the spread of prostate cancer. A 2009 study in the British Journal of Cancer found that cannabinoids activating the CB2 receptor inhibited the growth of prostate cancer cells. The same CB2 receptor gets activated by the cannabinoids found in cannabis, THC, and CBD specifically. It can help with obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD. A study done in 2013 looked at the effects of cannabinoid CBD on compulsive behavior in rats. What they found was that CBD decreased the compulsive behavior of marble burying in OCD rats. Further research has to point out whether it can help humans with OCD, but there is an overwhelming amount of anecdotal reports where people are reporting that it does help with their OCD. And it could all, medical cannabis could also help with atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis is a disease in which the artery walls thicken and which eventually over the years can lead to the obstruction of proper blood flow. Researchers found a study done in 2012 that inhalation of cannabis could actually lead to the worsening of coronary syndromes. But cannabis used in any other way, orally administered, for example, could have a healing effect on atherosclerosis. So for different disorders, you're going to need a different route of administration, you know, and that's where it's important to consult with your doctor. And it, um, medical cannabis could aid in neurogenesis. 
Neurogenesis is the process by which the brain cells or neurons are created in the brain. A Brazilian study done in 2013 found that CBD aided neurogenesis in a significant way, especially in the hippocampus, but this was in mice. Further research has to include whether the same holds for humans. But if it does, this is, this is an interesting find because it, it actually helps us to repair our brain and our neurons and create new neurons, um, which can effectively open up these pathways that have been damaged and allow your body to adapt. Um, it can also help prevent brain damage after strokes and trauma. In 2014, researchers found that if you have a low amount of THC in your system, you have an 80% less likely chance to die from a head injury compared to someone without any THC in his or her system. So having THC in your system greatly reduces your chance to die from a head injury compared to people without THC in their system. Um, it can improve concentration, sleep, and reduce impulsivity in ADHD patients. There are plenty of anecdotal reports of ADHD patients successfully medicating with cannabis. German researchers looked at the effectiveness of cannabis in treating ADHD symptoms in 30 patients. They concluded that all patients improved on concentration, sleep, and impulsivity. It can also help protect the brain from stress. There are plenty of anecdotal reports of cannabis helping people to cope with stress, but is there any scientific basis backing these anecdotal reports up? It turns out that cannabinoids help to combat cognitive deficits that occurred when we're being exposed to chronic stress for weeks on end. Although the results of this research can't directly be translated to humans, there seems to be some scientific basis for all the anecdotes. This study was actually done on rats, sorry. So it, it in turn, cannabinoids help to combat cognitive deficits that occur when rats are being exposed to chronic stress for weeks on end. Although the results can't be directly translated to humans, there seems to be some scientific basis for all the anecdotes. Um, medical cannabis can also help with chronic heart failure. We already know cannabis can help lower blood pressure in persons with hypertension, as I uh, mentioned earlier, but it can also help with, can it also help with any heart condition? A study done in 2013 found that the activation of the CB1 receptor had a protective effect against chronic heart failure in mice. The CB1 receptor gets activated by THC. It can also help with malaria. Uh, cerebral malaria is a dangerous parasitic disease that is transmitted from mosquitoes to humans, which in the most severe cases can lead to coma or even death. Although there are already effective medicines to treat malaria, in 2015, researchers showed that one of the main medicines to treat malaria was more effective when used with CBD. Mice that were treated with both that specific medication and CBD had full cognitive functions restored, whereas mice who were only treated with the medication for malaria kept some of the cognitive deficits. Even without the medication that's typically prescribed, for malaria, malaria-suffering mice treated 
with only CBD had significant decreases in inflammation, anxiety, and cognitive deficits. Um, so cannabis can also help increase libido in both males and females. If you've ever used cannabis while being intimate with a partner, you know what an enhancement it can be by heightening your sensitivity to touch. But did you know that it can also increase your libido? In 1987, researchers concluded that cannabis initially increases libido and potency. But be careful, heavy chronic use can lead to a, decre a decrease in libido. Also, a more recent survey done on adult women during an annual gynecology checkups showed that 65% of cannabis users reported that cannabis use prior to sex made sex more enjoyable. THC reduces the infectivity of the herpes virus. Once you're infected with herpes, there unfortunately there's no cure. It can lead to blisters and is even associated with certain types of cancers. A study done in 1991 found that THC had the potential to re reduce the infectivity of herpes simplex virus by up to 80%. <laughs> even though once herpes is in your body, there's no way to get it out, cannabis could potentially help to prevent the infections caused by it. So there are also some uh, potential non-health benefits of cannabis. Uh, there are also benefits beyond its extraordinary medicinal effects. So uh, it can lead to a general feeling of euphoria and relaxation. A review study that looked at 12 self-report studies found that two of the most reported feelings that were felt under the influence of cannabis were euphoria and relaxation. Euphoria is just a general sense of well-being. And then legalization may be related to decrease in traffic fatalities. <clears throat> While you should never drive under the influence of cannabis under any circumstance, in 2013, researchers found that the legalization of medical cannabis was related to a decrease of 10% in traffic fatalities the first year after the legalization came into effect. They further note, although a possible explanation for this decrease might have to do with cannabis being a substitute for alcohol, it doesn't mean that driving under the influence of cannabis is safer than under alcohol, though there needs to be more research done on the effects of cannabis and how it affects your ability to operate heavy machinery. Um, legalization may be related to reduction in rates of homicide and assault. Criminalizing anything that has a demand in, in society just breeds more criminality. Demand will always be met with supply, so it's only logical decriminalizing cannabis reduces crime rates. Well, it turns out there's scientific evidence pointing towards precisely this. A study done in 2014 found that medical cannabis legalization was not related to an increased crime rate of any type. It was related to reductions in rates of homicide and assaults. Also, cannabis can help improve your creativity. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence of artists claiming their creativity is enhanced when under the influence of cannabis, but there's actual scientific proof besides the anecdotal evidence. In 2014, researchers tested a mix of 45 ex-MDMA users ex-cannabis users, and non-drug users on different measures of creativity. 
what they found was that the ex-cannabis users had way more rare creative responses than both other groups. Um, you cannot overdose on cannabis. Did you ever hear anyone dying from a cannabis overdose? Probably not, because it's virtually impossible. As I said before, it can have some negative interactions with medications that could be potentially dangerous, but by itself alone, it's, it's as stated earlier, it's one of the safest therapeutically active substances known to man. A study done in 2015 that looked at the ratio between the overdose benchmark and the estimated human intake of various drugs found with cannabis, you would have to take more than 10,000 times the estimated human intake to overdose on it, which would be very difficult to do. Some other drugs like alcohol and nicotine were extremely high risk in this area. Taking less than 10 times the estimated human intake can already lead to fatal overdoses with both alcohol and nicotine. The irony is that these drugs are legal all over the world, alcohol and nicotine, that is. Um, also, CBD can help you stop smoking. The cannabinoid CBD can help you quit smoking cigarettes. In 2013, researchers found that when smokers who wished to stop smoking used a CBD inhaler, whenever they had the urge to smoke, it reduced the number of cigarettes they smoked by 40%. Um, and then another benefit of cannabis is regulating cannabis results in massive revenue and savings for states and countries alike. An analysis done in 2012 in the state of Colorado found that regulating cannabis like alcohol would generate $60 million a year in revenue and savings. This money could be used for beneficial projects and in return would generate thousands of new jobs in the process. I know a lot um, in Colorado, they're, they're putting a lot of this money into schools. You know, so it's, it's benefiting the education of our children. Um, and then the last benefit I have for you guys, and we can open it up to some questions, is um, I find to be one of the most important ones here. Um, legalizing cannabis can lead to socioeconomic improvements in disadvantaged communities. It's no secret that the prohibition of cannabis has had disproportional judicial effects on communities that already hold a low spot on the socioeconomic ladder. The number of cannabis offenders behind bars largely consists of young adults from disadvantaged communities. Decriminalizing cannabis could promote upward social mobility by giving these potential future cannabis offenders a new chance to do something meaningful for themselves and their communities. And at the end here um, on the PowerPoint that I'm going to send you guys or uh, have available to you guys through Ms. Shonda, um, I'll, I'll have some references where you can go and click and read some of these research articles if you'd like. Um, there's one thing, uh, Jack Herrera, he, he was a big cannabis advocate, and he wrote a book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And this book is about cannabis history and its multitude of uses. Um, also includes a lot about hemp and how uh, we've been using hemp for a very long time and all the potential benefits of the hemp industry for our community as well. Um, there's one link on the endocannabinoid system if you'd like to read a little more about that. Um, and then also I included that link about the um, tobacco versus cannabis 
and how the vaporization of cannabis can reduce the harm of smoking it. And then the last one is um, legis.la.gov, which is where you can find your legislators. And if you feel strongly about this subject, you can contact them and let them know how you feel about our current program, how the, the price is unaffordable, um, and how we need some improvements done. And that's really all I have for you guys. Um, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that I get to share some of this information with you guys. And do you have any questions? Thank you very much, Mr. Taylor Martin. We appreciate you. But that was extremely thorough. I'm so glad that we got this on recording so that folks can go back and listen to it and actually study it, dissect it, go and look up things, research things, advocate for their own health, and then bring that back to their primary care physician so that they can make sure mm -hmm. that um, cannabis, like you said at the beginning, that cannabis is right for them and their medical needs. So, And I know that it's really quiet, but I want you to know that we're well over 40 people on the call, so I know the quiet can be kind of disconcerting, but there are a lot of folks on the call. But I just wanted to thank you before we open it up for questions. So before I just do a general unmute, before we do a general unmute, if there's any questions or comments from Mr. Martin, please dial star six to unmute yourself, whether you're on a cell phone or you're on your landline. Star six. Yes, I do have a question for Mr. Martin. I think it's a very thorough um, presentation you gave, and um, you did say that you're going to give it to Dr. Shonda Brooks, correct? Or to, for distribution, and I'll be happy to. I would love to look over that. I think it's very beneficial. Yes, of course. I will. Uh, I'll give her this presentation, and you guys can take a look at it. And also, I know it's kind a, of a, a lot website? of information at one time. Okay. And is there a website as well that you can go to obtain information? Um, no, I don't personally have a website. Okay. Um, but th there is a lot of um, websites online that are very helpful. Uh, if you just okay. if you Google the benefits of marijuana, um, you can find benefits of marijuana, benefits of cannabis, any of those synonyms for it. Um, I'm sure you can find a good bit of information. Um, okay, I know you. that um, normal, N-O-R-M-L dot org, okay. which is, it stands for the National Organiza Organization to Reform Marijuana Laws. Um, they have a lot of information. They're kind of the main advocates and um, the, the machine for change around the country. Oh, so um, on their website, oh, of course, on their website it has um, kind of some tabs where it says home, uh, elections, take action, learn, state laws, uh, different chapters of normal. There is a Louisiana chapter of normal. If you guys feel the need that you'd like to advocate for cannabis, you can join their uh, Louisiana chapter. And then they also have um, lawyers for cannabis um, that are in different states. So if, any, if, if you ever need a cannabis kind of specified lawyer, they have that as well. And then, then they have different news um, just kind of explaining the, the legislation that's going on 
um, as well as just kind of which states are legalizing, which states are trying to, et cetera. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Yes, of course. Anytime. Any other questions? Yeah, I yes, just have a comment. I have a comment. It was a, a I can tell you from experience, I'm a person um, with the diagnosed with lupus, and I've been on medical marijuana for, I guess, going on two years now, and mm-hmm. everything that you said is valid. I mean, from blood pressure to um, the my pain with my bones in the daytime, I can move more. Um, I'm not completely off all pharmaceutical um, medications, but I am mm-hmm. aiming to that because I go to Dr. Amon in um, Cancro, and the mm-hmm. dispensary is in uh, Lafayette off of Gilbo, but it does, right, it, and I'm at 100% THC. Before I started off, she had me like CBD mixed with the THC. So now that I'm used to it, she has me on there, and we do trials. You know, they kind of use me, and I say it as a guinea pig, but they do trials. I've been doing that for a while since I've been uh, diagnosed with lupus. But it does work, and I want people to know where everything that you said is valid. It did wonders for me. Well, thank you. I'm really glad it's helped improve the quality of your life. And like right. you said, you know, you have to kind of be that guinea pig because you don't know what works for you until you try it. Right. You know, and um, experimenting with different ratios or just pure cannabinoids, you know, like like I said, um, I don't feel that pure cannabinoids are the best um, thing for everyone, but some people, the pure cannabinoids, just the THC works perfectly fine, you know, so it it all depends on who you are and uh, your specific condition. But thank you for your comment. I'm really glad it's been helpful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have any other questions? And what we're going to do is, is when Mr. Martin sends over the information, I'm going to put that up in our wiki where I put other presenter information, things that we can't put on Facebook just because of file type and size. I'll send out a link to our wiki where you'll be able to go in and download his presentation, and then you'll be able to have that information for you and for you to share with others so that you can begin to be your own best advocate. 